You're listening to Bible Truth Feed, a podcast by Christadelphian Video for Christadelphians and all those seeking the truth about the Bible message. Join us now as we present our latest episode. In this episode, hosted by Brother Nicholas White from the Pershaw Ecclesia, which is called What Jesus Did and Why It Matters, we consider some of the things that Jesus did in his time on the earth, the miracles he performed, the obedience he showed to his father, the love he demonstrated to his disciples. But are these things just history or do they have real implications for us today and the way that we live our lives? So let's listen to Brother Nicholas and let us know what you think about what he has to say about the scriptures of truth. Until next time. We're going to think about the the Lord Jesus Christ, his amazing life, his wonderful work and what it means for us. And we're going to do that this afternoon through considering five aspects of the work of the Lord Jesus. And the first of these is as the healer, the preacher and the teacher. And I suppose if anybody knows anything about Jesus, they might well have heard of some of these aspects. We just read together from Acts chapter two about the Lord Jesus, who was a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did. And so we're going to consider briefly to start with some of those miracles and wonders and signs. And it's important to remember what that verse says, that God was doing it through him. And and Jesus as God's son and the fact that God was closely at work in his life is a key part of our understanding of the work of the Lord Jesus. We read this in Matthew chapter four, that Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he talks there about the healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And what a wonderful variety of different types of healing he undertook. We can uh, think, for example, of some of the miracles that he did when on one occasion he turned water into wine, which was an amazing miracle that really impressed his disciples, an early one in John chapter two. Or we might think about the time when they were on the Sea of Galilee and the most amazingly fierce storm blew up and Jesus with the word just brought it to an end. We might think together of the remarkable way in which he was able to feed a whole multitude with just a few fishes and loaves. The point is that Jesus is not restricted by human limitation. He was able to do all these things through God's power. And then when we read through the New Testament, we find the just the remarkable miracles that he was able to perform. Those who were deaf or dumb or blind, he was able to heal them, to restore their sight, their hearing. And remarkably, he could do even more than that. Those who were troubled in mind, he was able to bring to peace, just it seemed with a word. And then there were others like the leper, who was full, it says, of leprosy. And yet the Lord Jesus could cleanse him and set him right marvellously. 
Some of the other miracles he did were very striking too. There was the occasion when the man let down through the roof who couldn't walk and the Lord was able to restore him to full health. The work of the Lord Jesus then demonstrated his power from God. And most wonderfully of, of all, the occasion when the dead, who of course were beyond human help, he was able to bring back to life. And this was something that was so striking to those who saw him. All that range of difficulty and challenge and problem, which was beyond the human ability to, to solve and to heal, he could do it by a touch or even by word. And the teaching that we have from the Bible is that Jesus can heal every physical and mental problem, but more than that. The Bible teaches us that it ultimately it is sin that leads to our mortal state and the death that results from it. And the Lord Jesus, because of the mission that God has given him, can solve even that problem too. But it's his work as a preacher and a teacher that is ultimately then of most significance. You see, the people with whom he interacted, well, he understood them. He called to him people that many others at that time would have nothing to do with him, the tax collector, who Jesus understood what was driving him and called him to him. And the man left behind his unjust gains and came to the Lord Jesus. He told parables and stories that enabled the people of his day and ours, based firmly on the Old Testament teaching, to understand the message of God. He spoke here, for example, of just as the sower went out to sow his seed, so God gave his word that people might hear it and that it might bring forth fruit to him. The whole point is that God's word comes to the purpose for which he gave it to bring forth fruit for him. And he spoke wonderfully to his hearers who were troubled as people so often are by struggles with the daily things of life. He spoke of how God cared even for the birds that not a bird dropped from the air without his father knowing and teaching us that we must trust in our creator of how God would clothe the wonderful flowers of the field and shall he not look after the basic needs of those who fear him? So Jesus invites sinners, and the Bible reveals that we are all sinners and that we all disobey God, to repent and come to him, to listen to his word and to trust in God. So we've seen Jesus as a healer, a preacher and a teacher, and able to do all those things through God's power, calling people from every background towards him and calling them towards God. One of the most significant aspects of the Lord Jesus was the close relationship that he shared with his father. The Bible reveals him as a babe in Bethlehem. And yet, of course, that is only one side of the story. In fact, it's only the very beginning. When he was 12, he was found in the temple in Jerusalem and his disciples looking for him, uh, sorry, his parents looking for him. Here he was in the temple and his mother and father, 
well, his mother and his adoptive father didn't know where he was. And when at last they found him, he said, did you not know? I must be about the affairs of my father. So his whole focus, and the Bible makes this very clear as his life went on, was totally wrapped up in the purpose of his father, doing God's will above everything else. If we just come to Matthew 22, we have an example of the teaching of the Lord Jesus, and it's instructive because, of course, it applied to him before he asked others to follow it too. We're in Matthew 22. I'm starting at verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. There were clearly different types of discussions that went on between religious groups at the time. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Now this wonderful teaching from Jesus himself, and of course he's speaking by God's power, brings out this principle that thou shalt love the Lord thy God first. And only then could he love his neighbor as himself. And that, he said, was the whole of God's law, given in what we know as the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, that was the whole basis of what that law was saying. The wonderful translator of the Bible, the first to translate all of the New Testament from Greek into English and large parts of the Old Testament from Hebrew into English, William Tyndale, he talked about Deuteronomy as one of those books and says that it was a very pure gospel, that is to say, showing the love to God and then the love to man out of the love of God. Now, the thing is, we have to love God first, says the Lord Jesus, and that becomes the basis for our love of others. And that's so important because if we, if we don't do that, then we don't have God's perspective. And our love for others is on the wrong basis. But if we always put God first, then that helps us in our relationships with others. So what Jesus lived and what he told his followers to do was to put God first in every aspect of life as an all-consuming priority and then love to others out of that. And interestingly enough, loving of ourselves doesn't appear in that list. And when you look at his own life, as we shall consider, you see that principle coming very much to the foreground. <clears throat> now, it's interesting to reflect that the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed as one who learned. In fact, the whole principle of the, the word disciple in the, uh, in the Greek is a learner. And the Lord Jesus learned, first of all, before ever he had disciples who had to learn from him. He learned from his father. And the New Testament reveals this is what he learned. He was tempted in all points like us. He suffered being tempted. He learned obedience by the things that he suffered. He became obedient to death 
If we put those four quotations together then, what it's showing us is is the reality of Jesus' experience. When we read in the Gospels of how he was tempted, that was not a one-off event. It's just an example, an important example, because it was the point where he'd received Holy Spirit power from God and he could now perform wonderful miracles. And of course, he had to choose to use that power for the right purpose. But nonetheless, all the way through his life, he was learning, as it says here, obedience to his father. And the wonder of it was that never once, tempted as he was, a real human like us, he never once did the wrong thing, never once failed to do what his father expected of him. And that, of course, would become wonderfully the basis of God's salvation for us. So the Bible shows him as flesh and blood. That's the the biblical phrase to describe, which we understand. We sometimes say, oh, well, he's flesh and blood like we are, so and so. Well, it was true of the Lord Jesus, but he chose to resist that natural way of thinking and acting and always to obey his father, his heavenly father instead. I'm not turning there, but Matthew 26 reveals the agony of mind that was involved when he obeyed his father in dying upon a tree. You know, the whole point of that last reference that we just talked about in in Philippians was he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. He became obedient to the death, even dying on a tree. The whole point was that it was not natural, not naturally what he would have chosen any more than you or I. And you you get a sense of that in this verse. Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Always putting God first, always choosing what God wanted. Interestingly, when he reflects on his life and on what he's about to do just before his death, he says, that the world may know that I love the Father. Well, as the Father's given me commandment, that's, that's what he was going to do. And it was, it was the basis of his life and his, the motivation of his action through every point of his life. Jesus showed his love for his Father by doing his will, even to death. So he loved his father, he overcame sin, and he loved his disciples. And this is one of the wonderful things. And if you think about it, this is, this is the example of how the principle we considered it was born out to love God first and then to love people because he loved his father in obeying him through his life and submitting to death. Well, here's the other side of that principle. He loved his disciples by dying for, for them. As we read in John 15, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. In fact, we can go even further than that in in Romans 5, because there we read that even for a good man, one would dare to die, but Christ died for us when we were the enemies. And the basis upon which we become friends of the Lord Jesus is, as we read there, if we do whatsoever, He commands us. 
as we read in Thessalonians, Jesus died for us, that whether we wake or whether we sleep, whether we're alive or whether we die, ultimately, because of the work, the life, the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, we can be brought back to life with him. So Jesus loved his disciples to the very end, and he calls us his friends if we obey his commands. And it's wonderful, isn't it? Because there's no automatic association between the obedient life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and ourselves who, let's be honest, find it so difficult so often to do the right thing. And yet God has in his mercy given us the Lord Jesus Christ as the means by which we can get close to God and through the Lord Jesus and desire to be like him. Because of Jesus' death, his friends can live forever with him. That's the wonderful promise that not only now can we be brought close to him and close to his father through him, but ultimately, as the Bible reveals, we can be close to him forever. So he loved his father. He loved his disciples, even by dying for us, if we choose to become his disciples. And marvellously, he overcame death itself. You know, there were Roman soldiers. I'm not quite sure if their uniforms looked anything like that. But there were Roman soldiers who, who well, temple guard, I should say, who moved the stone across the entrance to the, to the grave where Jesus was put. And we read in the record about how they sealed the stone and they set the watch, the soldiers, to make sure that nobody could possibly tamper with, with the tomb. There had been these rumours that lest his disciples should come and say that he, he came and rose. And we, there was to be no question of that. And yet when the women went in the morning, the stone had been rolled away. And when they looked in, they couldn't see the body of Jesus. All they could see was the linen clothes lying and the place and the material that had covered his head wrapped in a separate place by itself. And John, we understand from the record, looked in and believed, it says, believed that the Lord Jesus was no longer dead. That he who had so wonderfully lived and obediently died had been miraculously raised from the dead by the power of God himself. Well, the, the consequences of this are really brought out in that wonderful chapter that we read together. And I do want to go there now to Acts chapter two, just to consider then what this means. We touched on this verse briefly just before, Acts chapter two, verse 22. And it's the Apostle Peter, sometime after the death of the Lord Jesus, who's really introducing the concept of the resurrection of Jesus to the Jews in Jerusalem. Ye men of Israel, he says, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God. And of course, that's so interesting, isn't it? It's another subject to look in at detail at the nature of the Lord Jesus Christ and his relationship with his father. But it's simply put there. And, and our understanding is that it's exactly as it's described, that the Lord Jesus was a man approved of God, a unique man, certainly, a man with God as his father, but nonetheless a man. 
and therefore, as we have seen, tempted, really tempted, really tempted to do the wrong thing, and yet always resisting it, as we said. And God approved of him, and Peter says, by miracles and wonders and signs. And we thought about some of them. And how was it that God approved Jesus through miracles and wonders and signs? Well, it says, because God did it. God did those signs. God gave him the power to do those things. Jesus says that without his father, he could do nothing. And the miracles which he did were by God's power. So there's the first point. He did by him in the midst of you, as ye yourselves know. Then we come to verse 23. Jesus being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. So the death of the Lord Jesus was not an accident. We didn't really think it was, but there's an important point here. It was by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. What God planned was what happened. And as Jesus explained to his disciples, and we can read about it in the, the, the chapters that describe the resurrection, his death and resurrection was, was the fulfillment of a long promised plan that, that, of the Father that went all the way back to the very point where man and woman sinned. Well, of course, he knew before then as well. And so on the one hand, it was God's purpose, but then we read the end of the verse, ye have taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain. And this is one of the one of the idea that comes out elsewhere in Acts 2, that God had a purpose, but people have a free choice about how they act. And the wonder of what God has done and does do is that God has a purpose, and yet he arranges circumstances so that that which seems the most natural thing to do fulfills his purpose. The Bible explains that's how indeed it works amongst the governments and the rulers of the world who are there, the Bible says, to fulfill his purpose. And yet the choices that they make freely are the right ones because of the circumstances that he arranges. So that's verse 23. You by wicked hands have crucified and slain. And yet verse 24 says, God raised up Jesus. Because it says it was not possible that he should be kept hold by death. He died, but he could not stay dead, it says. It was not possible for Jesus to stay in the grave. He was, after all, a sinless man. So although he was at one and the same time flesh and blood, a descendant of Adam, nonetheless, he was personally guiltless and therefore he could not stay in the grave. And the wonder is, he's opened the way of life to others too. As we read there in Hebrews, our Saviour Jesus Christ, who, wonderful this, abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So there it is, the purpose of God, which was revealed in the scriptures, we understand, many centuries before it took place. And when the time was right, the Lord Jesus died. And God raised him from the dead. So Jesus' death was a fulfillment of God's plan. As flesh and blood, Jesus was mortal. But Jesus could not stay dead. He was sinless. God raised Jesus from death. And in his death, Jesus opened the way for us 
to come to life. So Jesus overcame death. He was raised to life. And now we come to our final section. Why do we need saving? It was one thing for the Lord Jesus Christ to die and to be raised. And that would be marvelous for him. But, but why would it be that we would need to be saved? Well, here's the simple truth. For as in Adam all die, and the Bible says that's our natural situation. And of course, the Bible reveals that we sin, we disobey God, and we die. Yet, even so, in Christ, should all be made alive. And so he describes two families, if you like, that we start off in Adam, and to remain in Adam as sinners means death. And yet, if we could be in Christ, if we could somehow take part of the victory over death that the Lord Jesus Christ achieved, then we could be alive. And that's really worth pondering, that that is our true situation, that is our true inheritance. And wonderful as it is that the Lord Jesus is alive forevermore, there is no automatic relationship between those things. And the Bible reveals that baptism is the way to get out of Adam and into Christ. And it's really as simple as that. The Bible is presenting us with the stark truth of the reality of our lives and the opportunity through baptism to come out of Adam and into Christ. And of course, it means a great deal more than that. It means that this is the way by which we can have our sins completely washed away, that we might be brought close to the Father through the wonderful work of the Lord Jesus. There's no automatic relationship between the victory of Christ and the forgiveness of our sins. There's no reason why God should necessarily associate those things, except by his grace. And his forgiveness and his grace, his free gift, is on the basis that in baptism we recognize our need. He forgives sin on the basis of we recognize our need of his forgiveness. So to stay in Adam means death. Being in Christ means life. Baptism into Jesus by full immersion in water is the way to get out of Adam's family and into Christ's. So there's the wonder of what the Lord Jesus did and why it matters. He was the most wonderful man who has ever lived. There was, in every day of his life, the Bible shows us, the character of God writ large. In his healing and his miracles, he demonstrated the power of his Father. In his preaching and his teaching, he showed God's wisdom and the wonder of his ways. It's not for no reason that when they came on one occasion to arrest him, they said, and they came back, there was men sent out to arrest Jesus, that they might put him to death. And, and they, they came back empty-handed. And the explanation was, when they were asked, nobody ever spoke like him. 
He loved his father every day of his life, was doing his father's will. And not just, not, not, not in a kind of a, oh, I've got to do the right thing. It was an absolute love that drove him to please his father. And he loved his disciples, even those yet unborn, even those after many centuries who naturally would be considered his enemies. Well, he died for us too. If only we would come to him in the right way that we might obey his commandments. He overcame death itself and was raised to life that he might bring life to his people. To bring us, the Bible shows, out of the prison house of death. There's a wonderful picture of Jesus opening the gates, as it were, of death itself and leading forth a host of captives to freedom and life. Not freedom to do their own will, but to please God. Because the end picture that for which God is working in the work of the Lord Jesus, is that when he returns to this earth, there might be a multitude of people who will be like the Lord Jesus, who will themselves be able to do God's will, to love him freely, to obey him as the Lord Jesus did. So with God's power, Jesus could heal forgive sins and raise the dead. Loving his father, Jesus always put him first. Jesus loved his disciples, dying for his friends who obey him. God raised Jesus from death, opening the way of life to us. Being in Adam means death, but baptism into Jesus leads to life. So that's what Jesus did, and that's why it matters. The Bible reveals Nothing matters more. Well, I hope that's been helpful. It's really one, uh, it's one, it's one of a series of topics that if we were to think of some of, the, some of the important principles we find in the Bible, then it would be one of those that I, that I like to think about, as you see there, a resurrected saviour who loves me. And all of those five aspects that, we can think about it as we walk onwards in our lives. There's, there's information on those if you go to a particular website, and it's this one, fivefacts.org, just has a summary of some of those ideas that you might find helpful. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found the episode helpful. Don't forget, most of these episodes are also available as videos on our video channel, cdvideo.org. So head over and take a look. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, please get in touch or leave us a voice message. We love to hear your feedback. You can email us at bt f at cdvideo.org. If you enjoyed the episode, then please share it with others. 
Until next time, may God bless you in your studies and your walk towards God's kingdom. Amen. Thank you.